2: Hi, this is Rebecca Atkinson-Lord and these are the Legacy Tapes. And I'm here still at the Slunglow Hub in Leeds with the rather awesome Matt Berman, who I described you as badass this morning. (laughs) The badass Matt Berman, who um, is the artistic director of Yorkshire Festival and was previously at Warwick Arts Centre and is sort of cutting a sway through the contemporary theatre scene.
1: Something like that. Something like that. Is that one (laughs) alright? I was trying to think of the line from going on a bear hunt. It feels more sort of swishy swashy than cutting a swathe.
2: Okay, so he's swishy (laughs) swashy through the contemporary theatre scene. And um, I thought, Matt, that you would be a good person to talk to because you left somewhere Mm -hmm. and started somewhere new. Mm -hmm. And I, in my experience, that's when you're most likely to think about, you kind of sum things up or you make plans for the future. Mm -hmm. And... And this idea about legacy and like and what you might want to
1: yeah no, absolutely yeah I, I i suppose i mean as well as moving from from work recently i've moved around quite a bit really mm. yeah so i was in at norfolk and norwich festival before that and uh forced entertainment before mm. that so it's been a series of jumps and shifts uh, over the last few years and all of this you know when we're Thinking about theatre, you know, this was from a background of not really theatre. You know, mm. I trained as a musician, and I, I, but but I grew up in the theatre. My parents were theatre designers, so you know, I've I've kind of been, yeah, thinking about legacy is a very interesting one actually, because I think, you know, I was often, I I often thought about the Buddhist thing of just passing through, you know, as a personal, yeah, philosophy. I suppose you know the uh, Jack Kerouac on the road mm. sort of thing which basically means not having an impact and not leaving legacy as cutting sway is quite nice actually Mm. because you just pass through and yeah tread lightly. Um, but I suppose I have started to think more about, about legacy. Um, but in little ways, I suppose, is it, you know, ensuring organizations in some respects are changed and developed and improved or improves, not always uh, the right word, but are changed in some Mm. way transformed in some way. Um, or are in a better position than when I started there, I suppose, <laughs> or a different position. Um, uh, I, I suppose I haven't, you know, it's interesting starting at the Yorkshire Festival has been a very different start to other starts at organisations because, you know, coming into somewhere like Norfolk and Norwich Festival, which had been going for something like 230 mm. years or forced entertainment, who had been going for 20 years. Maybe, yeah. Uh, and Warwick Arts Centre had been going for nearly 50? Yeah, nearly 50 years, 40 years, 40 years. Um, and then Yorkshire Festival, which is only in its second edition. So it's sort of like I'm j- jumping from three organisations that have, had, have already got a legacy, I opposed mm. to looking at how you establish a legacy from, from day one or establish yeah. the potential from legacy, legacy from day one. so what
2: did you when you when you arrived what hmm. what what did you want what were you thinking this is what i want it to become
1: well i i i inherited a a, a really strong terms of reference from our our steering group which was to establish yorkshire festival as a significant national and international um, multi-art form festival uh, uh presented on a biennial basis so mm. the last one was in 2014 and it was this <clears throat> mammoth 100-day cultural program leading up to the Grand Depart, Tour de France in Yorkshire and then uh developing that as a sort of a standalone event so not directly we don't have to make everything bike themed now <laughs> which would have been traumatic if we had to do that for any length of time uh not I've got nothing against bikes so they're great um, bizarre I can think of at
2: least three pieces that people are making right now about bikes <laughs> I
1: know, well, it would it 's relatively easy actually if you you know think about things like people like Blasteria made rider spoken hmm. things like that you know there are plenty of things but anyway uh, I, it would have been quite a type frame to operate in yes um, and you know starting work or returning back to Leeds because i I grew up here starting starting work in Leeds again and relearning the city and starting at a time when the, the thinking about 2023, um, Leeds going for uh, European capital culture in 2023, have really started to gain momentum. And there's mm. a really interesting group of people um, thinking about those plans. So first time I've actually started an organisation and thought, okay, well, there's kind of a 10-year plan in in the back of my mind yeah. about how... Um, the Yorkshire Festival can really support and contribute to that that process towards that um, uh, securing that, that accolade yeah. <laughs> of Poison Chalice, whichever way you look at it. Um, and I think, um, yeah, so that that's in the back of my mind. But I think that that's about a trajectory more than a legacy, I suppose, mm. actually. That, I, yeah, legacy is quite hard to think about. Before you know, it happens without looking backwards i mean yeah. i think what well, one 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 phrase i suppose or one sort of uh, thought experiment something like that um that is relevant though is that i i think a lot about the word entertainment um because it has become an undervalued phrase particularly yeah. in relation to contemporary work i suppose yeah. not that people aren't making entertaining work but it's not necessarily they don't think right, i'm going to make something entertaining, entertaining. um and I I look at the word in a slightly different way. Obviously, entertainment, the derivation of the word is from the Latin, I think, uh, to hold within, which, you know, on in the simplest terms was about something that happened indoors. Mm. You know, it was a thing indoors. Mm. Um, but I've sort of um extended that to mean something that people hold within them so it's the act of entertainment is communicating something in some way that the audience or the viewer connects and takes Mm -hmm. something from that experience and carries that with them wherever Mm -hmm. they go and that is again about you know transformation and and the transformative power of things Mm -hmm. um and I think that's that's legacy you know I, I do want to communicate or produce or deliver or create experiences or collaborate with artists to create experiences that that change the world, you know. Well, don't start small, you know, think big.
2: Yeah, tell me what you want
1: to change about the world. Oh, what don't I want to change about the world? Uh, I mean, I think that's that's a political, it's a political act, art is a political act or it, it has the power to be a political act at the moment. I think there's... There's so much that needs addressing in terms of equality and equity and social justice and um, our ability to communicate between cultures, between uh, communities, between countries. Um, that can be achieved through through the arts, mm. you know, through through any artistic act. Um, and yeah, again, coming from from Warwick, uh, where. Warwick Art Centre is in in the centre of the campus of the University of Warwick, if you don't know that, um, surrounded by these great, um, thinkers and people generating ideas that no doubt will have, have significant impacts on, on our future lives, you Mm. know, whether it's sociological or economic or, uh, medical or, uh, Physical, but I mean, in terms of physics, astrophysical, yeah. um, and our understanding of who we are and our position in the universe and all of that. But um, I've been thinking for a long time that it's in the coming together of artists and academics that actually we have the most potential to change the world because you have the great idea that's going to influence our future existence, mm. you have the means of communicating that idea. Mm. Um, but it's it's not simply about um, you know I know I know the fad uh, for for people to go I'm not sure what I'm going to make next I'll go and talk to an academic and find a really great academic <laughs> idea and I'll make an idea, a show about facts. yeah um, and it's not about the the opposite which is when you get an academic department going um, I, I want to make uh, I want to communicate my research about mortality and dying I'll get a puppet company or... <laughs> <laughs> or you get a, a a choreographer who says, "I want to make a piece about the mind. Find me a neuroscientist." Mm. I think those those can create really interesting work. I, you know, I'm not denigrating that in any way, but I think um, it's just more complex than it's that. more complex. And also, I think it's about, and you know, this is not something that we achieved at Warwick necessarily, but it's about artists and academics, or an artist and an academic coming together finding a shared area of concern and then traveling together in the research and expression of that research Mm -hmm. and I think that's because I'm most interested in artists who are compelled to tell a story you're compelled in some way to express something that could not be expressed in any means other than through their practice yeah Um, and it's that compulsion that I find most exciting you know that's where the passion lies that's Mm where you have the most potential for that meeting of arts and audience and mm. the spark and the heat and the dynamic. And, and the level.
2: thing that is more than the sum of its parts. Exactly,
1: yeah. I know, you know, it, it, thinking about, like, it feels quite grandiose thinking about that. Okay, I am going to keep does. coming back to this. <laughs> Go
2: on, like, challenge the By all means, reject the premise of the question.
1: I think, if, for me, it's much lighter than that. You know, I I see my work as a programmer, a producer, a curator, you know, commissioner, whatever, yeah. um, It's about stewardship, I think, to a large degree. It's about ensuring that I conscientiously commit to uh, ensuring the supply of the resources needed to artists to create the work that will have that impact and develop that audience, you know. There, there is a, obviously, there is a curatorial act mm. in that, but, the most important thing is that I touch those resources as lightly as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, that, um, and that I, we, you know, I've always, I've always wanted to commit early, you know, not, I, I love the long conversation. Yeah. You know, and, uh, <coughs> some people listen to this will be saying you never commit (laughs) we've been talking for years and you've still not done anything with me um but i think at times it's about really connecting with an idea really early on and just saying yes let's do that Mm. that was brilliant crazy
2: beautiful. because then you become you become a you're the fertilizer that lets it grow Mm. right you become almost the maker of it
1: yeah you know i've talked i've talked before you know when i was at norfolk and norwich You know, we were talking as a sort of management team, you know, producers and development and all of that lot, marketing, all of that lot, all the important people, uh, (laughs) not the artists, uh, about, um, you know, how we create an irrigation system, actually. Mm. You know, we want to create the most efficient, effective irrigation system whereby the the artistic idea can flow most effectively to the audience. Mm. Um, And I think... The legacy can be in creating those structures so that those structures work really well.
0: Yeah.
1: And the legacy is obviously in uh, creating sustainable practice for artists, you know, allowing artists to actually have careers paying them properly to do the job mm. that they want, need to do, and we want and need them to do as well. You know, we can't exist yeah. without.
2: And allow them to live as human beings within yeah, our society. As human
1: beings, and, and about. You know, I, I know there are lots of us and them dynamics in mm. in the world in which we work, um, but the fewer of those we can have the better you know i feel slightly
2: bad that i chanted on facebook about um (laughs) just just for the benefit of the podcast i I posted on facebook grumbling about producers getting all the artistic director jobs and 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 worrying about it and matt bourbon said i worry about myself um so that's the elephant in the room there
1: (laughs) it's not an elephant i mean i i I totally uh, agree with um well, the 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 idea that you're expressing mm. that um, too often, uh, artistic organisations, theatres, art centres, are becoming led by um, an executive mm. rather than an artistic lead,
2: and probably just I think it's also about it's about the politics of it. It's something that Alan was saying um, in the other podcast that they did at the mm-hmm. Sluglow Hub um, uh, about. Um, you know it's the economic factors that are the mm. driving force and that this place exists to make money rather than to make art
1: yeah I that's, think that's what I worry about yeah no I think that well and you can see that all over the country you know I, I had I had that challenge when I started here uh, in Yorkshire um, that you know I started in October for a festival in June which is crazy <laughs> Um, and so quickly phoning around theatres to see mm. whether there was any space available for me to actually programme any work into there. Yeah. Uh, and 90% of them were fully programmed, which, you know, is fine. Um, but then, you know, particularly some of the bigger houses, some of the number one,
0: yeah.
1: uh, venues were just full of the most awful. No, I should, maybe I should self-censor that full of. Commercial products. <laughs> you were going to say
2: awful draws, weren't yes, you? Yes, <laughs> I was going to say.
1: Um, but that, that's a value judgment, which I should maybe not apply in this situation, but, um, you know, full of commercial products. Yeah. Um, which is very successful, and obviously probably 90% of audiences in those venues are going once a year, and they're very happy to go and see that work, and, you know, I'm not in any way, um, yeah, downplaying or undervaluing the... the the, undervaluing The value of those experiences for those people in those situations mm. is very frustrating if you're a programmer looking for a nice big theatre to put uh, some nice international work into that you've got back yeah. to back musicals to contest with, with not a Rizzler between them. Um, but the I, I think, you know, I think if you look at programming internationally, you look at programming in comparable sized cities across. Uh, the rest of Europe mm. um there is much more of a sense of challenge and um because they've been on that journey for a lot longer mm. um it's no longer a, a challenge in terms of audiences because uh, the audiences want that challenge yeah, the, so. uh the wonderful Jamie Wood uh, who we both know and mm. love uh was I think this is his anecdote he was in Spain I think talking to a Belgian or a a, a Dutch programmer who was saying it's now kind of sub- subversive to do the well-made play yeah. in the low countries because, you know, nobody's making the well-made play. Yeah, over yeah. There. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's our challenge, I think, in, in this country. If there were a legacy that I'd like to um, secure, it's that we kind of break the cycle of risk aversion um, where, you know, we have programmers who perceive audiences to be risk-averse, so therefore programme risk-averse work, Mm. which encourages artists to create more risk-averse work, Mm -hmm. which only uh, uh, develops a risk-averse audience. And we're Mm -hmm. just spiralling down and down and down. down I don't think audiences are risk-averse. No, I don't. I I think we've forgotten the intelligence of our audiences, or we've we've sidelined that intelligence um, in favour of... Sometimes shonky audience intelligence that mm. we're we're getting from postcodes and from uh, other systems, which are not really qualitative. If you're going to mm-hmm. use an evalu- evaluative. a ah, value, value the joy of
2: quantity, <laughs> not quality.
1: To be, quality, uh, quality, qual, not quant. Uh, oh, God, I hate those phrases. Um, but you know, sometimes the, the data you get from them, sometimes the information, the intelligence mm. you get from those. Um, those things are are really useful but sometimes they can contribute to um people people making decisions which aren't based yeah. on on risk on challenge on intelligence on um an artistic passion you know i think yeah the thing that is most obvious to an audience is when something is being programmed without any, any commitment or care yeah or you know and or a programmer actually thinking i really fucking love this piece mm. of work. I'm mm. gonna program it whether anybody likes it or not. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. And sometimes it's that you know, it can be slightly dictatorial, egotistic. Um,
2: but why the fuck not, not, I say. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and you know, you look at you look again, you look across Europe, the really great programs or the programs that I am um, most excited by are mm. those that I love by really singular visions or you know inclusive visions Mm. but you know visions that are are based on on passion yeah and yeah passion and intelligence I suppose and I think yeah legacy I'd love that to happen I'd love us to break out that cycle I think and that's but that's a cultural condition that we've been in in this country for 70 80 Mm. years longer probably
0: supposed
2: to be so Someone was talking to me about political theory the other day and saying that um, uh, uh, ideological chunks go in roughly seventy-two year cycles. So any time now, any time now, it's all, up for the, it's all up. It's all up, sort of play for. Mm. And it could be something we could we could make the world anew.
1: Seventy-two years. So seventy-two years from forty-five, that would be what. My maths are rubbish.
2: 22? Uh, uh,
1: something like that? Yeah,
2: something like that. So we've got like... No,
1: 27. 2027.
2: 27. So we've got 11 years.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, if you think that the shift after after the Second World War was towards something uh, much more left-wing, and particularly in this country, much more focused on the welfare state, that implies yeah, the but then
2: out. we, Yeah, but then you could also... Um, this isn't a conversation for this podcast. Um, <laughs> we about,
0: want a about different legacy. About where we
2: date our change from. Yeah. Um, what am I going to say? Yeah, I feel like that risk that that sense of risk aversion it just essentially forgets the fundamental nature of humanity, which is that we're all bloody curious. Yeah. Like, we kind of can't help it. Even the dullest, most disinterested, mm. apathetic people mm. will cross the street to see what's making that noise.
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, and I think. I think one thing that we've... No, we haven't. I think the media and our education system has taken this away. It's taken away, A, a confidence Mm. uh, in people to respond to work authentically or Mm. in the way which they naturally would respond to that work. But people are told that either work isn't for them, you know, the whole thing around elitist art forms in this country, which is deeply frustrating Mm. to me as somebody who... I suppose I, across the divide from classical to contemporary, if you like. Yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, people are told, you know, you know, the classics of Daily Mail purient headline around uh, arts council money wasted on filth. You know, whatever, whatever the headline. The could idea be.
2: that most people don't like filth. Yeah. That's basically what <laughs> We're I think about. Dirty, it's right, like it's way. food. It's filth. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's it
1: yeah we should make that show i'm so fucking i'm in yorkshire festival
2: 2018 that was
1: it yorkshire festival funds food and filth (laughs) (laughs) that's a great headline um but i think yeah i think we, we we need to find ways of giving confidence back to our audiences you know we're doing a project as part of yorkshire festival this year um called creative critics which we're um presenting, um, delivering in collaboration with the Company of Angels mm-hmm. and Christina Burt Projects, um, which will be working with two classes of 10-year-olds in schools in Huddersfield and Murfield. Um, and taking, well, they, they have three workshops before the festival which are on, you know, critical um, theoretical concepts like what is art, how do you view art, how do we use art, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, And then they'll see three shows during the festival to which they'll write, uh, um, develop critical responses, write critical responses, which will then publish and Mm. publish with with the Yorkshire Post. Mm. Um, But they're they're not the shows that you would necessarily take a group of 10 year olds to. They're they're selected by the 10 year olds and their teachers. So we're not foisting them on them. We're not saying, you must go and see this. Um, but they're going to go and see Melanie Wilson's opera for an unknown woman. They'll see Selena Thompson's Salt. Uh, they're going to go and see uh, a new visual arts piece by Imran Qureshi. Um, what else are they seeing? Uh, they're going to the Nile Project, which is a big collaboration between musicians from from the Nile Delta. And then they'll write about those experiences. And I'd, I'd actually love to do that with you know groups of people across the whole mm. of the county, intergenerational groups, groups from. Uh, you know all sorts of demographics because I think actually that experience is not one that's been given to people over the last 20-30 mm. years yeah. as cultural education in this country has been gradually eroded or stripped to uh, stripped to the bone definitely and I think we you know that there, there are fascinating debates as as we know between various friends of ours who are critics and writers mm. online about, you know, about criticism in this country. Uh, and I think, you know, there are some brilliant new developments in that and clearly online and, and blogging and, and other forms of media than the mainstream press is real really that. Um, broadening that. And mm. I think if we can encourage more people to see more work and just say what they think about it, because I think that's the thing that, you know, in this country... Yes, with our, if you like, core audiences. Hmm. They will stick around afterwards and they'll go to the Q&A and they'll uh, sit around in the bar and talk about it after the show. But I think too often, because theatre is your good night out, to use an Arts Council demographic.
2: Yeah.
1: Big night out. Um, Is it dinner and a show? Dinner and a show. That's the one. (laughs) Urban art is eclectic. uh, (laughs) It's
2: your your dinner and a show.
1: Traditional culture vulture. Yeah. those are the old categories aren't they anyway shit I'm out of date yeah I'm out of date (laughs) Uh, but I think uh, yeah it's it's about something that's you know the is not deeply thought provoking for Mm. those people or even if it is they don't want to think about it too much they might say oh that was nice
2: right so so look because that isn't just about how we think about art that's Mm. about how we think about our place in the world and the world yeah this idea that thinking isn't something one does for pleasure or having or 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 that difficult things are unpleasant like complexity is unpleasant like i feel like that's something that's embedded in every aspect Mm
0: -hmm.
2: of everything Mm -hmm. that we do so that's in our education system it's in our economic system it's in how we're in it's everything I'm just sharing that. that problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's a statement. <laughs> I mean, there isn't a the point,
1: really. <laughs> no, I think um, that's, that's true. I think um, if we could engender that desire to embrace uncertainty mm. um, far more, you know, there's you know something that I love saying to people. You know, just <laughs> I don't know what it means still, really, but but you know, you, you want people. Uh, Chris Thorpe has a line. I can't remember from which piece. Um, you know the. The, the certainty of the fascist. You know, you, you want you want the opposite. You want the sort of fluidity, the mm. the mutability, the the sense of conversation, of dialogue yeah. that comes from uncertainty actually. That
0: yeah.
1: um and we want to be able to have really passionate discussions which are are not personalised, you know, yeah. that we're we're talking about you know, there are so many things in, in society that we should be having. You know, Tassos talks about, Tassos Stevens talks about the good question, you know, getting to the point where you can have a conversation with somebody who might have a very differing...
2: Uh, and really beauty. have a conversation and really, yeah. like, listen and potentially leave changed. Yeah. Uh, leave yourself vulnerable to yeah. being wrong.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, again, theatre allows that possibility. You know, I, although do we explore that as often as, as we could? And, you know, again, Chris Chris Thorpe's confirmation gave access to um, thinking that was very different to how the left liberal might, mm. yeah, view the world, obviously. Um, but how often do we actually hear those viewpoints on stage? Actually, very I think very rarely. Oh, and yeah. um, if we don't if we don't think about them and we don't allow ourselves those conversations, I think all that, that even the thought experiment, actually, mm. then, then when we encounter those things in real, the real world, we don't, we aren't necessarily equipped to, to discuss them or to debate those things potentially. I don't know. Um, but okay. I think there's a, Yeah, i I've
2: just been, I've, I've just listened to, um, this american life podcast actually mm. um called for your reconsideration reconsideration <laughs> should you wish to source it um and it's and, w- and one of the stories in it is talking about a piece of research that they reported on a year ago about how um uh, essentially if you send canvassers political canvassers out stepping, mm-hmm. um to have a genuine conversation with people around issues and that and they're using you know red flag issues like abortion and trans identity in, you know in, in the American midwest um that if that if you can get if you can have a genuine conversation and give the person you're talking to space to think through the issues
0: mm-hmm.
2: in the course of 20 minutes you can change someone's mind and how they will vote politically
0: mm-hmm. and
2: that change will stay i mean they've only measured six months into the future now but that 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 change appears to endure mm-hmm. And it was originally, it's a, it's a study originally published in Science Magazine that was discredited because someone had messed with the data mm. that they then redid and it proved to be even truer. <laughs> so <laughs> thank God. Mm. Um, and it and it feels like th- that's what theatre and the arts can do, right? Mm. It gives people that space to have a dialogue and come to new conclusions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, yeah, again, in terms of stewardship, it, it's for those people with... That opportunity and that privilege to both present work and uh, develop an audience for that work to ensure that we're we're bringing as diverse a range of opinions and views into the room to view that work as it is to present a diversity of views or Mm -hmm. diversity of people on on that stage as well. I think, Um, you know, and lots of people are doing that all the time. You know, I think the 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 potential at the moment in this country still is much higher than it has been for a long time. And I think we, you know, maybe it sounds like I'm very negative in terms of that, that risk aversion. And I think I'm probably talking about much larger organisations mm. rather than, you know, the work that Alan and Paul are doing here yeah. at Herb or um, Live Art Bistro mm. over the other side of town in Leeds doing um, Transform Festival, Amy Letton's Festival here. And that's and that's just in Leeds. Mm. You know, people like... Um, in Bloomfield as well, who I, th- I think you may have interviewed. <laughs> I may have chatted to. <laughs> you may have had a chat with him. Um, you know the the, and I think that is because there's a there is a politics, even if it's with a small p, and sometimes mm. it's with a very large p as mm. well. That, that is is in people's minds, even if it's not made explicit through a program. Mm. I think <clears throat> that that's something that I i try to be really strong on is not to have themes i don't like themes in terms of mm. of a program you know sometimes you create a frame or a constraint in, in order to make your life a bit easier market you know? it Market it yeah you know um we did a really nice uh season i use the word nice too often i, I liked it uh <laughs> at the season of work at warwick called lane mm. with the l in brackets so which is a, a season of uh, one person shows, and mm. you know doing things like that are quite fun because you can play with form in that way. But actually, I find you know if you just if you're conscious and you're thinking, then you are or should be responding to a, a zeitgeist or a, a sort of political, cultural, social context in mm. which you're operating. You're, no, you're not. Um, in a some kind of creative vacuum as a programmer you mm. are connected with the world of reading papers and, Hopefully. and all that kind of thing um and I think rather than present an explicit theme to an audience it's really exciting mm. to allow them to find their own journeys and their own meaning like like with any work of art you know I, I don't like works of art which tell me what it means <laughs> I want I want to define that meaning myself and, yeah it's most exciting when you've got a hundred people in the room, and there are a hundred different meanings for the thing they've just experienced. And also
2: with a like with a single curator, or even more than one, hmm. like there, there will be that unconscious theme, hmm. you know, because that's it's it's what's in this person's because because all of this stuff comes through the filter of this person's brain, yeah. whatever their concerns and stresses and worries and mm-hmm. fetishes are, mm-hmm. they're going to make their way into the stuff.
1: Yeah yeah and I, you know again I, I hope i hope that there's because, yeah because there are there is there is a much stronger sense of collaboration across the country at the moment i think i i feel that you know there are so many really exciting conversations happening between various people producers programmers artists um that there is a connectedness that perhaps hasn't always been Um, the case yes and you know with a lot of thought going on as well at the moment i i know about you know the flow of work from the uk internationally and vice versa Mm. the flow of international work to the uk that i think the the greater that connectedness the greater Mm those the the geographical spread of those conversations the more we can affect, change, you know, the twenty-minute doorstep conversation is probably mm. actually a twenty-year uh, <laughs> conversation in the theatre, in a way. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, again, coming back to the legacy question, I think if we can, if we can, as a as a sector, as a group of people, I'm not talking about individual legacy, personal no. legacy here. I think as as a sector, if we can really foster and enhance and enlarge those conversations from this country to other countries and and between communities and cultures in this country as well, where there are, you know, psychogeographical boundaries as wide as the channel
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: that, you know through, through those conversations and through continuing to develop audiences and continuing to look at where there are barriers and reducing those barriers and where we need to take steps towards people to um, gain their trust Mm. to do that, where actually sometimes taking a step back and allowing them to come to us. It's also, I think, uh, there's a quality in that as well. (laughs) Um, But I think just not stopping trying as well, actually. I think Mm. provided we all continue to have the conversations, provided we don't get distracted by the conversation as well, because... Little left is very inclined to tying itself up in knots around words and meaning and signs and signifiers and all the rest. So let's just worry about intention and get the fuck on with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I, I, again, coming back to it, I think provided we're ensuring the resources are available to artists, so and that's time, space, money, mm. um, people where they need people, not people where they don't need people, you know, in terms of some organisations foisting outside eyes on projects or whatever. <coughs> yeah. Um, that I think we, yeah, we have the best chance of achieving that, you know, mm. it is about, um, yeah, giving agency to, to artists where they feel they haven't had agency mm. and giving agency to audiences as well. Mm. I mean, I think that's, a, uh, you know, that's a very interesting conversation. You know, yeah. The,
2: Talk to me about that. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> Could you explore? This? Uh, yeah, I, I think. How, how
2: do you? How do we in this? Because how many things are constructed mm-hmm. right now? There isn't a lot of structure. There aren't a lot of structures that facilitate giving an audience agency. Mm-hmm. They are to sit there quietly and be perf- mm-hmm. performed at. Yeah. What 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 would that look like?
1: <laughs> what would that look like? Um, I I don't know, I and mean, in terms of uncertainty <laughs> embracing uncertainty um i'm often i i being a libra i swing both ways on the question of of that agency um making you know, none of the jokes <laughs> making none of the jokes um i i always loved dammit uh Lahav from gecko's comment about uh, the audience being the last performer in in any of his mm. pieces and obviously the the way Gecko and 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 Amy make work, it, that development continues often through at least one touring mm. uh, period before well, I don't know whether that and anything is ever completely fixed with Gecko. But um, I, I love that idea of the agency that the audience has in completing a piece of work, even with an end on audience mm. in the dark piece. Um, I love immersive and participatory work you know i i I think um yeah i've really appreciated coney's work over the years and you know even small yeah relatively small sort of participatory moments again in in something like confirmation i think can be can be really strong Um, and you know and the sort of the the participatory work that alan does here with with Slon Low and the large scale work mm. they've done, I, I find fascinating and you know a brilliant development of the form and structure. Um, I I also don't think there's anything wrong with the audience sitting in the dark and and watching a piece of work as long as they're acknowledged in the space. Mm. I think I think that that acknowledgement by the the artist of the audience is really important.
2: Yeah, the uh, reciprocity.
1: Yeah, and, and I yeah, I do still struggle with plays where people will stand on stage and point out into the audience and say, look at the mountains. And go, it's, not, it. it's, yeah. not, it's not mountains, it's an audience. <laughs> um, but that's my lack of ability to suspend my disbelief, <laughs> I think, in lots of uh, ways. But I, I think... Um, it's also about just how we have those conversations. And I think, again, that's about confidence because, I, you know, it was an offer that I often made to to students at Warwick and I've always, whenever I've met audiences or, you know, talked with audiences, I've always said, come and tell us what you think of the mm. work. You know, challenge us. Yeah. Uh, I've said directly to groups of students, I want you to be our most challenging friends and audiences. Yeah. I think I don't know whether that always works. I think sometimes if I said, Don't, whatever you do, talk to me, (laughs) they would be more likely to talk to me. If you give people that license, they go, Well, it's fine.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. it's about entitlement sometimes. I think if you take that entitlement away, they're much more likely to want it. Um, I don't know what I mean by that. It would kind of (laughs) be like the forbidden is is
2: always more valuable,
1: right? Well, I I think you know that again, to come back to the 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 elitist thing and if we can yeah if I had had a legacy I'd love it to be that people didn't see forms like opera and ballet as elitist anymore Mm. because you know obviously ticket prices are ridiculously high in some places and you know they're often very cheap tickets and also
0: a
2: lot of you know because I because I work a fair bit in opera I haven't for a while but I used to and there is a subsection of the opera audience that doesn't want everybody to come to the
1: opera no
2: because they want, you know, they want to put their frock on yeah. and they want to feel a bit posh.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and that's that's fine as well. Is that fine? No, I think uh, I have a big problem with audiences who exclude mm. new attenders. Because, mm. like, you know, I've seen that with, but, with those. Because a audience.
2: lot of theatre audiences do that.
1: A like, lot of, and and classical music audiences yeah. and and all the rest, you know, the turning around and shushing of people who might not understand the so that you don't clap the, between movements, yeah, or the, or the etiquette of whatever mm. etiquette. Um, but I think you know where you know in in Eastern Europe, for instance, where it, within a couple of generations people have fought revolutions to to gain access to that mm. culture, you do have a much higher uh, participation or a higher, mm. a higher a larger number of younger audiences going to see that art form and not seeing it as uh, exclusive or mm. uh, elitist, and I think that's because they had to fight for that entitlement. Whereas that entitlement, in a way, has always been there, even if audiences can sometimes, mm. yeah, audiences can sometimes turn their nose up at new attenders and those buildings aren't necessarily the most welcoming of buildings and et cetera, mm. et cetera. But.
2: but also, there's something about the, the kind of the wider macro attitude to to. Class identity. Mm. Everything right now. Everything for me is about class identity. Because thinking mm. about you know, my dad's from um, Sight near Burnley,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, and my aunt, his sister, was was an opera singer in the village, in like the village yeah. amateur opera company mm. that was better than most of the shit I see, you yeah. know now. And and there, there was a real culture of of, of artistic endeavor mm-hmm. across the entire spectrum of this broadly incredibly poor very working class place mm. and now those people's equivalents mm. would not have access to that
1: no i don't think they would and i i think that's partly due to the ways in which people consume culture now mm. you know that I mean, how how long ago would that be in the 60s, 40s, 50s? Yeah, so people weren't regularly sitting down to watch four hours of television yeah. of an evening, and they I mean, were Game of
2: Thrones. Who can? Why, why would you watch opera when there's Game of Thrones?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Game of Thrones might not couldn't have existed with that well the, no I know. the ring cycle maybe uh, that's a big statement uh, I feel like
2: that's a PhD thesis. <laughs> yeah. Wagnerian influences in George R. R. Martin's work <laughs> uh,
1: yeah no, I'm not going to try and reference that one again um, but I think you know it is about that consumption of culture or what people deem to be culture
0: mm.
1: no it is culture I'm not going to again I, it is culture it Mozart is
2: culture. was popular culture
1: exactly there's this whole thing in this country around doers, not viewers. So you have large numbers of people participating in all sorts of cultural activity, whether it's dancing or singing or, mm. you know, singing in a choir or in playing in amateur orchestras or doing dance concerts or whatever. Mm. They're actually the hardest people to get to see a concert, a piece of theatre or um, a, a dance show, whatever, because either they're spending all their time doing it anyway, as as a you know, proficient, semi professional amateurs, mm. enthusiastic amateurs. Um or, you know, as you know, as we were saying, they're consuming their culture in, in different ways. Mm. And I think that makes it very hard when people feel they have very rich cultural lives to encourage them to en- engage with even more culture you know <laughs> you've got really rich cultural lives but we've got some culture you haven't even seen yet you know <laughs> yeah um, and I think that that when when our all our lives are so full and they're so full of information and families and friends and mm. communication and uh, all of that that um, how we you know I've talked about how you create those focused quiet so- spaces of solace almost mm. in, in theatres where you can have that shared experience that you can't have elsewhere but you can have that time to think that you don't mm. have elsewhere where there's no option to click on another tab or to click a hyperlink or yes, to scroll you, down you have
2: to sit
0: with it you have to
1: sit with it and and allow us allow ourselves the time to have those conversations to have Really difficult conversations. We're making a um, commissioned, well, co commissioned um, Selena Thompson Salt um, oh. with uh, Mayfest in Bristol. And, you know, Selena wants to encourage those awkward conversations oh. around race and ethnicity and slavery and colonialism. Because and,
2: um, until you have them,
1: and because you can't you have, move on. You can't move on, exactly. And, you know, Pauline Mayers, I don't know whether you've come across Pauline's work, um, um, it's a new show called What If I Told You,
0: mm.
1: um, which, again, is is exploring issues around difference and uh, ethnicity and race. and the Invisibility. Invisibility, exactly. And, you know, it was fascinating. I went to see work in progress of that show on on Saturday at seven hours and the show lasts for about 55 minutes the the, the Q&A <laughs> lasted for nearly two and a half hours um with, with that's awesome yeah fascinating you know there, there were 70 people in the show and about 40 people in the post show as well mm. so I think yeah as programmers that level of audience engagement is is really really vital, you know, that's what it's the engaged mm. audiences that we really want to develop those who, who do challenge you, who do want to have that conversation, who want to who want to stay behind and talk with the artist or mm. talk with you about about the work. Who care. Who care, yeah, yeah exactly. Even if that caring is just signing up to a mailing list sometimes, mm. you know, that's that's enough care. Um but I think um Yeah, allowing those spaces, allowing the audience agency in those spaces of discussion is as important as allowing them agency in the creation Mm. of work. You know, I think those those sort of work in progress scratch um, engagements need to be very carefully held, framed, framed because I think... You know, the artist doesn't want to know if something should be painted blue or somebody should be funnier or, you know, why is that person called John and not Phil? Mm. Um, They want to know how people feel in those spaces Mm. and, you know, and often compare that to how they wanted people to feel. Mm. And I think often that isn't held Mm. that, that well. But then uh, it, can if, be, it can be, obviously.
2: But if it is, and then like linking it back to what you were saying about people as critics and mm. people being able to talk about what they think about work, yeah. Um, th- I, f- I feel like those work in development showings are, are, are such a brilliant way to allow audience members to do that.
1: Um, yes, they are, but they're also often commenting on something that's not finished. Um, my grandma... Mm. Uh, <laughs> always use the phrase never show an idiot or was it never show a fool or a child anything half done <laughs> um, not that i'm saying an audience is, is a fool or a child but i think you have to be very careful sometimes it's better to finish it mm. you know it's better to make the complete shiny finish piece thing. of work and then people are responding to something which has had everything put into it that you want to put into mm. it sometimes obviously you want to show something because you're not sure if you're going in the right direction or whether this has got any legs at all. Mm. Um, in which case, great. You know, that, that obviously, um, is really important. But I think, um, it's always, a, again, as a commissioner or as a, as a programmer, as a whatever, um, it's ensuring that you're creating the right opportunities for the artist who is making that particular work at that particular time. If they want to do work in progress, great.
0: Hmm.
1: If you've got an audience who wants to engage with that, great. But if the artist doesn't want to do work in progress, so you know, there's plenty of people who really reject the idea of scratch yeah. and um, and there is this. You know, I, I really like Ian's programme with Bradford because he only does work in progress. Yeah. I think that's a very strong political. Um, political act and you know it makes absolute sense in mm. that context if you're somewhere where you know at Warwick we would often do a work in progress and then they have the complete mm. piece of work I'm not sure whether that does develop audiences because some people come to the work in progress and go well I've seen, I've it. seen it or they come back and go well it's, it's the same <laughs> it's the same or it's, it's a, a lot better <laughs> <laughs> thank god thank god <laughs> the first version was awful um, so yeah, whether they're an audience development tool, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's an interesting one about developing people's critics because I think you would have to really reduce the number of people in, who were experiencing a work of progress, work in progress, to allow them that opportunity because it then becomes much more like Maddie
0: mm-hmm.
1: Costa being in the room with Chris Good, for instance, yeah. because then... I mean, I know she she performs a very different function. It's not yeah. just about criticism, but, but there
2: comes a point where you're you're no longer accessing it as a as a as an audience. You're mm. accessing it as a, as a as a creator or a participant. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is different,
1: and I think yeah, audience agency is really important when when an artist wants or needs it. It's not something that we can we can foist on people. Mm. You know, some people will will always want that, um, and it's part of their practice and their process. Mm. And for some people they they don't even really want to talk to the audience afterwards. But yeah. <laughs> but actually the experience at the moment of connection can be as as powerful or as has has the quality that we would want from that experience. Mm. Um, in in either case actually I think we, we we all do this actually. We say, you know, this is the way it should be now. You know, let's tear down the buildings, let's not build any more theatres, let's only do it outdoors, let's uh let's all kill
2: the, all the gatekeepers, all let's the burn down the palaces. There's no
1: more producers as artistic directors. Yeah, so
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a producer. I'm also uh, a
1: producer. Take all the money away from opera and distribute it more evenly, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um what you know, then there there is an argument for all of those things, but I think we have to recognise the strength of the ecology and actually the ecology needs large and small and indoor and outdoor and participatory and whatever the opposite of and diversity and diverse, in its real sense in its real sense. Yeah. And that's our form and practice and everything as, as well as all the other uh, definitions mm. of diversity. And I think, uh, yeah, if we can recognize the strength of that ecosystem that, you know, there was, I, I don't know whether you read it, the work commission, Um, Warwick Commission on the Future Mm. of Cultural Value which had some really interesting work in there on ecosystem and I think we have to recognise that obviously you know I hate the term grassroots for some reason, I don't know why I don't like the term grassroots but you know work at different scale, working in communities, working in very different ways to the ways that buildings Mm -hmm. can or you know even if they should work in that way they often aren't equipped Mm. to work in that way um but we all need each other actually mm. I think it's you know important for Leeds that there is an opera house so right
2: I'm, I'm, I'm just going to ask this question but then I'm going to go I'm going to wrangle us back to the actual point of the discussion which yeah. we have straight away from but you, you just said we all need each other mm-hmm. and yeah we do right but just more and more I find myself thinking and I'm just I'm just going to be on my hobby horse for a minute yeah like I feel like we all need each other, but the people that we actually need the most are the people that make the fucking art.
0: Yes.
2: And <laughs> the people that are most exploited in the current system are the people that make the fucking art. And they're yeah. the people that are in insecure, underpaid. You know, they have the worst wages, they have the, the worst job security, the least agency. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fucked up, right?
1: Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. I think... Um, the systems with which I'll say we you know from the position that I, I'm yeah. in we have allowed to develop we um, the ecology we, well the ecology but also those people in in Gatekeeper. salaried, uh, salaried yeah. positions actually have allowed to develop in terms of the, the economy around the payment of artists mm. and that, that that isn't because I think 90% of the time that isn't because we we undervalue artists or because we think mm. They shouldn't be paid more, but that we haven't fought a a system around the subsidisation, the subsidy, Mm. the 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 funding, the funding, the The money, uh, the funding of of the the arts in in this country. Mm. We haven't fought in the ways that we should have done for increased investment in the arts. You know, we had what we. You know you've, if you've been around long enough, what we referred to as the golden years under Blair, yeah. which was only um, getting back to a sort of zero point after years and years of yeah. chronic underfunding, uh, and then we've allowed it to be stripped back again over the last um, however many god awful years it's been under um, Cameron six years, six years, um, oh, only god. six years, four more to go. Or Um, we could stage
2: a bloody revolution tomorrow. Stage
1: a revolution. I've got a pitchfork. I've got a whole idea about that, but maybe not for a (laughs) podcast. Maybe for a different podcast. (laughs) uh, One that was anonymous. Um, (laughs) But the, yeah, I think we we haven't fought for the funding which would allow us to pay people better. And we've Mm. allowed, some organisations have become... um, I was yeah bloated is a very loaded word yeah but I think they they are over resourced both in Mm. terms of inefficient operations they're inefficient that's a good a good way of putting it and I I think you know there are obviously examples where people are paid you know massive inflated Mm. salaries but I think they're actually pretty few and far between and they're in organizations Mm. which are making a huge amount of money Mm. they're generally not the organizations who are paying artists badly I mean if you think of the opera house for example
2: oh no i love working
1: there <laughs> i
2: love working there i get paid so well
1: <laughs> no, exactly uh and you know all the musicians get paid well yeah. the singers all the yeah. technicians get paid really well yeah. um but the i think so there is there is that i think i don't know whether it's any ever been any different mm. i mean that's one thing to say i mean i think um People, well, right, people who are I mean, it, artists have always it,
2: struggled. Yeah, but it's it's basic Marxism, right? Like, the, there was a point when the means of production was in the hands... Like, the, the, who the, who that means of production... Who, the, who that was in the hands of.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Once upon a time, you made the thing, you flogged the thing.
0: Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. really
2: simplistic terms. Mm-hmm. And now you don't. You make the thing, you you go to someone and you ask them if you can possibly exhibit the thing in their shop window mm-hmm. I, I i just need to stop because i hate myself for using this economic model to talk about art but you get my point right yeah. and there are all these middle
1: people there are people skimming off the top
2: yeah the people skinning off the top they yeah. um richard from uh, is it farnham the germs that grow on funding you know there are so many of those
1: mm. yeah i mean i think i think that's true I. Right? You I you know, know, I may have been one for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's a it's a very tricky one because I wouldn't like to point the fingers at anybody in particular and yeah. say I think that they're, they're a waste of space. Um, because I don't you know, know. I mean, there's some people I point the finger at just just for devilment. <laughs> I, I would never, because just in case somebody fancy po- po- pointing a finger back again. Yeah. but I I think I think generally speaking in in the ecosystem, everybody feels they're playing a part, Mm.
0: you
1: know, whether they are more or less effective is a, is a, another question. But the crucial thing to change is that we are not paying artists properly. Mm. And I think there are plenty of organizations where they're only offering box office splits and putting all the risk with the artists Mm. when they could quite easily be paying some form of guarantee. Um, and i think people i know artists have started doing this i think if artists said no more often when they're offered a shitty deal yeah. um then venues would soon wake up because they wouldn't have any program left um and there's always,
2: there's always someone
1: there is always somebody who's going to undercut. up but hopefully people will start to realize and also that,
2: yes right, yes because i i was a programmer until last week right yeah. yes but, like, fuck that, no. Because the people giving the money, the programmers, they're funded by the goddamn government mm-hmm. to to do this shit. Mm-hmm. They are the people that should be setting the bar for what is right.
0: Yeah.
2: And acceptable.
0: No,
1: no, you, no, can't, you, know, you can't expect the
2: totally disempowered, non-agency holding... Yeah, I can't, not I'm, I'm
1: not. I'm not saying that I expect artists to change. Anything.
2: I don't know why I'm yelling at you about this. Yeah, I do you. are totally on my. We <laughs> agree with on this, but I'm just yelling. At
1: you. But but I think the if if venues aren't going to change, yeah, and you know there are plenty of examples that I mean, plenty of people listening to this will know exactly who I'm thinking about. Mm. But there there are lots of people who should just be told no. You need to pay guarantees. Yeah. Now the Arts Council could do that. Mm. You know, the Arts Council could start to impose that. But then actually, they're stuck within the same sort of system. Well, not the same sort of system. They're they're playing within the same economic system mm. as as we're talking about. Where if the Arts Council has reduced the funding for an organisation by twenty percent over the last six years, or you know whatever it has been in mm. real, real terms, or um, uh, yeah, yeah. In real terms, um, then they can't then turn around to a venue and saying you can't. You, rather than saving the costs on artists, you're going to have. Well, they could, I suppose. They yeah, say, they totally could. You need to pay guarantees. You're going to have to look at where you're going to raise the rest of the money from. But then they have been doing that with things like Catalyst Evolve, and that's pushing us more towards an American f- funding system, which is reliant on private cash, which is largely non-existent outside London.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. Um, we're bound up with things that we can't necessarily, we can't all change all of these things. But I think if, if you know, I'd, you know, has done this, um, Scotty's done this, yeah. um, you know, making it really transparent or really unavoidably obvious to venues that those practices can't continue. Mm. While at the same time, recognizing that it's not us and them actually. Yeah. And that, um, It's about a joined-up conversation. Yeah, I was quite frustrated at the time when the um, show. I'll I'll show. I'll uh, show you mine. I'll show you mine thing um, uh, came out. Um, That venues weren't invited into those discussions. In fact, we were. We I hosted two of them. Yeah,
2: and venues were invited, and people didn't come.
1: Oh,
0: right.
2: I, like I, I was at a venue. I was running a venue, and I hosted one. Yeah, and one other venue, maybe two, came. Yeah, and um, but at the same time, I it, like I was in those conversations at Devoted and disgruntled, and was getting clubbed to death.
1: Yeah.
2: by artists who were earning ten grand more than me a year, and I was yeah. like, yeah, but
1: uh. yeah, it's not. Um, anyway, I think this is all beside the point in a way because I think artists should be paid properly um and i think we all agree, <laughs> we all agree that. That. but I, you know how we get to that point you know this might be one of the revolutions that we're talking about yeah. um i think there also has to be recognition that there are probably more artists making more work than at any point in history maybe more than we need and perhaps more than we need i mean i think we haven't reached a point of natural selection in terms of uh, in terms of work mm. and I think that's that's a really hard thing because again you know there is a there is a desire on on all of our parts to be inclusive and to give opportunities to as many people as possible yeah um, but that's not possible but that's not possible and
2: the first thing to go should be the stuff that isn't that great good yeah yeah um, although who decides that I don't know
1: yeah and um, for me because i should be god (laughs) apart from a series of demigods with gogs (laughs) with really good taste yeah exactly Um, yeah i mean i think that's uh how how we uh, yeah i think that's always going to be a a problem Mm -hmm. isn't it really Mm -hmm. i don't know you know there will always be bad work and there will always be good work and there will always be subjectivity in art where some people think the good stuff's uh, awful and some people think the awful stuff's good. great um know, yeah, my legacy would be we all made the right decisions all the time yeah so,
2: so this is so good you went back because that was what because we've been we've been rambling on for like an hour and um so i was just gonna say what do you what what do you want your legacy to be like and you can choose that to be in this role or you can choose that to be when you die or, or at any point
1: between here oh, and then god um if if by legacy we sort of meant something I might be remembered for, no, that's something different. Yeah, difficult.
2: I mean, I would say I would say that in my world, def- the definition of legacy is the thing that you leave behind you. Yeah, the thing you leave changed.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, it would be brilliant to to sort of leave behind a system that. Um, or a system that was changed to be more accommodating of risk and challenge and a system that created, yeah, or a structure that had been created that better supports artists to give them space, time, money, resources to make really exciting work. Uh, You know, I think only because not only because we're sitting here but i think the the resource that alan and slunglow give to artists here is is really fantastic i think if we can together if i could leave behind a structure that created a greater sense of permeability in mm-hmm. some of those big organisations so that big stages were really accessible to us is because you know again that's something we haven't seen in this country for a, for a while that shift mm. in from small scale to middle scale is is um although it's scale what does that mean but it's basically people making for large work yeah. for larger stages and those larger stages aren't uh, accessible because and you know, that's Simon McBurney but he's been around a bit now isn't he yeah a we while um but you know just thinking about you know the where the the producing house that I was referred back to at Campo in in Ghent mm. um, they've got two beautiful theaters stage is the stage in both of them is about fourteen by fourteen meters about six seven meters mm. of height um, auditorium's only about hundred and fifty two hundred something like that Lovely. so it's just a perfect relationship mm. between audience and mm. and stage. Uh, the stage allows that space for people to make work which is officially I don't know arresting arresting challenging fills mm. fills your um your peripherals if you know what I mean yeah, yeah. um and I think we we haven't got those spaces in this country you know there are very few stages that large with mm. with manageable auditoria if you like mm. um and you know, if you look at the the resourcing of Campo, they would get—I can't remember what they get—something like one point five, two million pounds a year, a, a euro equivalent, mm. um, to put on a program which is you know far smaller than an organisation with similar funding in this country, and, and those organisations would have one and a half thousand, two thousand seats. So, yeah. sort of cut, subsidy per seat is just enormous and i think again though if if we could change that in this country um if we could actually suddenly create a paradigm shift where people suddenly go no we do need to pay for uh, culture in this country
2: does it come down to a qualitative rather than quantitative (laughs) analysis does it does it come down to saying this thing is good let's just like maybe maybe if if instead of Mm encouraging arts organisations to be entrepreneurial mm. he went do you know what fuck it here's the money offer everything for free um, do you think that would do something?
1: Yes, I, haven't no, cost, I, I, haven't <laughs> I haven't costed that I haven't costed that I don't know because you know there, there is something also about the the audience valuing the mm. the, the art as well I think
2: but do they have to value it in economic terms? Because they give their time. Like it's it's a you know it's a it's a reciprocal contract or with a performer, right? They turn up and they give their hour or their two hours. And but you,
1: you could say that you could that you could take money out of economics altogether. Let's do that. <laughs> that would make life so much easier or more complicated. But I think while you've still got a system where people are paying for things, mm. um, I. You know, obviously you want to, there, there should always be access points and ways for people to engage with work that they aren't necessarily paying mm. for. But if somebody has spent 50 grand making a show, why shouldn't somebody pay £15 pounds a ticket to see that show? Um, or whatever they...
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, however you want to uh, break it down. You know, I think if, if people in this country actually realised how much they would be paying without any subsidy, yeah, I think that would be quite interesting, at, at least for them to under, understand that better. if mm. you go to the States, you know, as um, some of us are fortunate to do every now and then, you you know, I, I, I went to see Sarah Jones uh, mm. do a work in progress at uh, New York Live Arts in oh, January. Yeah. Um, so Sarah Jones did a piece called The Revolution Will Not Be, uh revolution will not right. happen between these thighs um, uh people remember that brilliant performer amazing performer um work in progress uh capacity she did five nights of work in progress uh, uh in a theater which was 250 300 capacity sold out for the week uh they charged 75 dollars <laughs> a ticket. um for that. And that was Jesus. a one woman show. Um, Jesus, yeah. <laughs>
0: um
1: and be- people are very happy to pay that money. Yeah. Uh because I think in the States they know that there is no subsidy in it. Um in that system.
2: Yeah, but then you look at their audiences. As someone who's just had three shows there in the last twelve months, like
1: Yeah. They're not working class audiences.
2: They're not working-class audiences. They're not in any way diverse audiences. They're really lovely, thoughtful, Mm -hmm. um, committed, engaged, entitled audiences. Mm -hmm. But if you want, you know, we we, we, we very much think about art with an instrumentalist tinge in Mm -hmm. this country, and you cannot do that without subsidy.
1: Yeah. Although it's a really interesting one, though, isn't it? Because... You know how how much difference is there really between a stand, uh, Frankie Boyle doing stand up and Chris Thorpe doing a one man show? Just, I mean, obviously Frankie Boyle's a lot funnier. I'm just say that. <laughs> uh, I Christmas. don't know. Chris makes me laugh. <laughs> Chris makes me laugh while I'm quaking in my boots. No, that was that was just a friendly <laughs> jibe. Um, but people are very happy to pay thirty pounds a ticket to go and see Frankie Boyle. Yeah. And Frankie and his management are taking 80% of that.
2: Do you think then we just... And he's selling,
1: you know, 1,500 tickets a night. Do you think we just
2: don't guarantee enough of a good time?
1: I... I, Again, it's about what a good time means and if we can create a legacy Mm -hmm. in which people um, feel they are being fed, nourished by a much wider range of experience, you know whether that is laughing or crying or having their brains melted, um, then I think we will have really achieved something. And, you know, I, I, we, we are, like, yeah, tying ourselves up in knots, I think, particularly in theatre, in ways that people don't do in contemporary art, for instance, or contemporary visual mm. art. They just make the thing. And that that is because it's a very different economic system. You know, it's based on essentially based on patronage or on a gallery system where people make a piece and a gallerist says, I can sell that for X amount of money and then if somebody pays that much they say, oh, Well Stick another twenty percent on next time, and yeah. you, you get that growth, or you get a s- Sachi turning up and saying, "I'm going to buy all of this no, artist's cliche. work forever." Um, and you know, I think there is a risk in that. There is a fetishization mm. of of the object, obviously mm. in contemporary art. And I have, you know, in the past played with that idea of you know fetishizing the transient. How do we create? Uh, a, an experience an experiential economy mm-hmm. where people say that experience is never going to exist again it's worth X amount of money but then that's but we do it with food we do it with, with food I mean the yeah. fat duck yeah yeah no absolutely and and that is you know the fat duck is a very interesting one when, when they've got something like what 50 covers and yeah. they've got 50 it's, chefs
2: it's, it's a fringe theatre yeah.
1: yeah but uh, with fifty one to one experiences yeah essentially um
2: and it's the equivalent of,
1: B, you know, do you remember BAC's one to one first.
0: Yeah,
2: it's like it's like paying one hundred and twenty quid for that.
1: Yeah. Which you know, why shouldn't people? Yeah. Do
2: that. Well, why should? Uh, mm, look, why shouldn't people? Mm. If we if we accept that most people then won't be able to experience it. <sighs> do we care about that?
1: Well, yes, we do, but then that, we get back into we get back into the question of subsidy. You know, if we have a properly subsidised system, then we should be able to pay artists as if they they were uh, the venue were receiving a mm. uh, ticket price of one hundred and twenty pounds mm. a person, uh, yeah. even if we were only charging ten pounds to the yeah. end end user. And actually, we don't audience.
2: we don't say that all kinds of people should be able to go and eat at the Fat Duck, do we? So what's the difference?
1: Well, because there's no subsidy in the system, there's no subsidy in restaurants, which allows, you know, if we if we if we reimagined a cult, cultural ecology where food. Would, uh, food as art was part of that mm. ecology, and therefore, um, world-class restaurants were subsidised to the same level as the, I'd be the opera house. So habit. happy, <laughs> Yes. Man. For those of us who like our food, I'd be so I'd, happy and I'd, so I'd, fat. I'd, I'd be so much richer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, I think that that is a that's a utopian ideal, isn't it? Really, or it's a different ideal because uh, you know that you could say. The equivalent of our DIY theatrical culture is those of us who really love cooking and inviting friends around yeah. to have dinner, and we give those things away for free. Or you do, a, you know, pay what you can um, yeah. supper club. Yeah. You know, there there is that extreme, and the fat duck is it's the, the opera royal, royal opera house really. Um and uh, you know, McDonald's is going to the cinema, or you know, whatever that. Or, Oh, sort of a I feel that's like really
2: unfair on the cinema.
1: Well, yes, that no, is unfair on the cinema. I was trying to, I was trying to think of a funnier equivalent to McDonald's in, in our sort of food theatre analogy. <laughs> but I didn't want to tar anybody with that brush yeah. because uh, I don't think anybody's quite sunk that low right. yet. Um, but I think, yeah, oh, it's it all about substitute. <laughs> I think we we can all try and find different ways of funding our work. We can crowdsource. We can um, we can do trust and foundations, we can look for sponsorship, mm. we can, you know, we can rinse our ticket income as far as possible, but um it all comes down to those yeah, that economy doesn't add up without public support, mm. public funding for the arts. What we haven't done as a sector is communicate the value of that subsidy to an audience or to a non-audience more importantly, actually to an electorate. Mm. Um, so that we don 't have these daft conversations about the value of public subsidy, because mm. whenever you see a below the line discussion about that, that the these sort of trolls come out thinking fast to decry any form of public funding and the poison the the way it poisons uh, the arts, which you know if you look at it in some ways you could you could make that argument, um, but I think we 've always had forms of Investment in the arts which haven't been clean, you know, there's been patronage whether mm. it's church or state or uh, a Borgia or a or Medici. A, or a Medici, um, and we're lucky, lucky enough now to have a degree of arm's length. Um, mm. yeah, how arm's length it is anymore, I'm not sure, but you know, I think it. it we have the principle of arms-length funding in this country, and I think that's something we should be hugely proud of and support with all our will and might. Mm. Um, so if I were to have a legacy, um, it would be that we, have, we do have that... Um, we grow that public support and public funding. You know, we have more support for the arts and their value and their impact or understanding of their impact, even if people aren't engaging with it, actually, even Mm. if they're not coming to the theatre, just accept and value the fact that it exists um, and see where that, um, yeah, where that value and impact comes in those things that people are are consuming, uh, that the culture that people are consuming otherwise. Mm. And, uh, you know, ensuring that artists are paid properly, you know, Really making sure that we have a system where there is, you know, no sense of us us and them, that people are paid properly to do a proper job and that artists make really fantastic work as a result.
0: Mm.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.